Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. Welcome to the podcast, Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Father John, and we're going. Father Nathan, put the headphones on. We're rolling. Hello, everyone. I'm going to try and keep these cheeses away away from me so that I'm not chewing into the... uh, Feeling much better after a a nice, well-deserved break. I'm Father Nathan. This is Catholic stuff. We we run a balanced, you know, educational podcast for the casual listener. That's right. My brother just called uh, in the break here and said, uh, I know what you guys are doing. The new Halo, I guess, just came out. Oh, really? He's like, you're just gaming. I was like, I wish. I haven't played Halo in 20 years, but... I haven't played uh, it's embarrassing. Seminary. It's it's embarrassing. I've talked about this before on the podcast, but we didn't make the jump to the dual analog. True. Like yeah. those of us who grew up yep. on the N sixty four, it's like nope, right? You know, and even that was a pretty big jump. Oh yeah, I remember when that controller came out. It's like, are you kidding me? We couldn't do it. Mario Party. This These is little, crazy. Exactly. So yeah, my nieces want me to play uh, uh, Mario Kart with them on the uh, Switch. Uh, and I'm like, I have no it's interest. It's not even fun. I have no interest in doing this. No, no. But whatever. Whatever, man. Right now, um, uh, hopefully we are basking in the glow of an Alabama national championship. My brother is convinced that uh, Notre Dame is going to take down uh, Alabama, which is quite possible. But Is Notre Dame undefeated? No, they just lost to Clemson. Too bad. Did Clemson play Alabama? They lost. Alabama? They're in the ACC. They don't. They don't risk it. They, they like lost to, to Clemson. They like to beat up. No, they beat Clemson. No, Notre Dame beat Clemson. Notre beat. Okay. When Trevor Lawrence had COVID. Right. So, anyways, whatever, man. Like, we're getting there. We're super excited. We'll see what happens. So wait, ba- Bama's undefeated. Yep. And Notre Dame lost to who? Clemson. Clemson. Gotcha. In the ACC championship. Mm. So and then, uh, yeah. So. And then Ohio State took like four weeks off, and then now they're apparently in the championship, which is they're in the quarterfinals, which I find hard to believe. Nothing counts in 2020. The Blues are still Stanley Cup champions. That's true. Yeah, I wish. Yeah, uh, shout out to Alexander Steen, who just uh, retired from the St. Louis Blues, 15 seasons. Mm. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure he's down to three teeth. Um, so we're very grateful for his service to the St. Louis Blues. So Nice. And the teeth that were given in their honor. True. Yeah. Um, desperation hockey. Desperation it, hockey. That's what we got to get back to. Yep. I texted uh, Phil Bartline. He's down four to three on the bet. And I said, desperation hockey, as Coach Bednar would tell you. Four to three on the bet? What? Screen time bet. Who oh, can shoot. use their phone less? We've been doing this for yeah, two months. Yeah, but that's months. not fair. Like, Why when, not? No, I mean, like, when you when you had COVID or whatever, you had to be checking it all the time for that. Uh, got to go to the computer. You got to go to the computer, which isn't fair, also. But I gave him a break week because he, you know, Thanksgiving. You're in the liquor industry. Forget it. You know. Mm, okay. He's still. He's got to get desperate though. So what is what are you at right now for the week? What's your pickups? How do you look today? at today? Yeah. Go to screen time. Let me see your phone. How do I go to screen time? I got you. I think that's yeah. We're not doing pickups, but it is interesting. Okay, daily average, 47 minutes. Nope. Whoa, one hour, 26 minutes this week. Pickups, 62 pickups, daily average this week. What does that mean? Are you less than that? You're 90 last week, 62 this week. Whoa! 
Hey, I'm down 27%. Who knew? That's right. Keep up the good work. What are you at? I'll let you know. Just give me a second. You're going down, man. We're going down, baby. Phil, you're going down 43-minute daily average this week, but that's only today. Last week, hour 25. Nice. Pickups. What do we got? It was uh, last week. Why are you not moving? 65. So we're, we're oh. pretty, pretty close. You were 90 last week. Don't give me that. I'm in 62. Oh, oh man. I like that. So I, wait, you're watching the, um, speaking of what uh, TVs and whatnot, uh, the Last Dance Jordan documentary. Well, I was watching it, and then Father Chris somehow lost interest in it, probably because he wasn't Shocker. born yet. <laughs> um, and uh, like this was my childhood. Um, but we stopped watching it, and then uh, I, I just... I didn't want to put it on because then he was uh, he wasn't around, and then it's like, well, do I finish watching? Are you actually interested in it? So then I went in a different direction and I watched Civil War. Right, but then that was I, a very, I blew very through that. Very different direction. So now I just got. I like your idea. You you get on the spin bike, you know, ride for an hour, and then watch you know Michael Jordan and everything. So that's what I need to do. So the uh, my chaplain team at the University of St. Thomas Bernardi campus was known as the Dream Team, McGill, Litke, uh, Coop, and myself. Mm-hmm. So if we are the 92 Dream Team, who are we? Obviously, I'm Jordan, but who are the other guys? That's what you want to say. That's yeah. who are the other guys. That's the question. You like saying that stuff. So, anywho. Uh, that was the question. You're more like Isaiah Thomas. He didn't make it. Yeah, I know. That's why I said that. Oh, man. You're one of the greatest players not to make the dream team. So I didn't ask about me. I asked about the other I'd guys. I'd relegate you. I asked about the other guys, you know. Evan Koop is not part of the dream team. He's Larry Bird, for he's, sure. He's the, he's the trainer. He's no. the trainer. We were the dream team. Best chaplaincy team ever. Name a, name a, a team of four chaplains that were better than us. Uh, greatest ever. The ones that served me at University of Illinois. Oh, yeah? How are they? Well, I uh, mean, give it time, buddy. Yeah? <laughs> give it time. We'll see what happens. All right. Anywho, uh, we want to continue a conversation we had last time on education because I thought it was really, really helpful. This morning, um, I went out to a coffee shop. We still are uh, re- disallowing in-person dining. Uh, you can't uh, You can't dine in. So I order food and then shiver outside at picnic tables to show these people, this is what you're doing to us obese people, you know? <laughs> so uh, shout out to all the workers at Davies Chuck Wagon um, on uh, Colfax. Uh, I've been waiting to go to Davies Chuck Wagon for, I don't know, four years, and I got a hankering for Davies Chuck Wagon. Because, That's where you went this morning? No, I went to Red Silo. Oh. But um, I wanted to go to Davies Chuck Wagon, but they're still not open. This is the problem. When you cancel in-person dining... In-person dining, in-person dining is crucial for breakfast. Crucial. It is. For lunch, you can take it out. You're already dressed. You're already sober. Like, you already have your teeth brushed. Yeah. There's so many reasons why lunch is easier. No, Dinner bre- is even easier. Breakfast places, this is frontline workers, for sure. Front. If there's one thing that you should allow for, it's, I, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to order breakfast takeout because... Who's going to fill my coffee mug? Right. Who am I going to banter with at 8 o'clock in the morning? You know, we need Brenda. 
Brenda. Brenda. At oh, she's the best. Home cooking. Home cooking. I know. Have you been hair. over there? Do you know what they're doing? No, that, that there's no in-person dining. I know. Anywhere. It's and so I order my food and then I sit at picnic tables outside with my earmuffs and my jacket on just to say this is what you people have, are are You're allowing to, to happen. Yeah. So anywho, but while I was there, I was reading this great book, um, "What Is Christian uh, in Christianity?" Uh, by it's a collection of essays or uh, writings from Lorenzo Albacetti, and it was um, edited by. Father Michael Carville. Michael Carville. Um, he got my heart, Michael. So, anyways, he he worked he worked on it. So, I was reading one of these essays. I would highly recommend this book. I actually ordered two copies accidentally, and um, I gave the other one to uh, Mark Lanzini, mm. who does not listen to this podcast. Um, and he said, "I order that book every year." Start reading it, give it away, and then uh, I lose my copy. So, anyways, I'll I will make my uh, reading rainbow plug for what is Christian and Christianity by Lorenzo nice. Albacetti. Um, we were talking about education last night, or, or our last podcast, and we were talking about the responsibility of more than just the pastor. And I want to read this line that um, that. Albacetti references, um, and it's an, it's an older line. It's from Pius XI. Have you read Divini Ilius Magistri? I don't think so. Um, the Divine Teacher. Um, I don't know, Ilius, maybe their Divine Teacher. Yeah. Um, Pius XI writes, School, considered in its historical origins, is by its very nature a, a subsidiarity a subsidiary and complementary, complementary. Why can I not read? <laughs> subsidiary and complementary. <laughs> Thank you. Institution to the family and the church, and the logical consequence of this fact is not only that the public school must not be contrary to the family and the church, but also that it must be positively harmonized with these in such a way that these three environments, school, family, church, will constitute the one sanctuary of Christian education, mm. lest the school be perverted and transformed into a pernicious influence on youth. So school, family, and church. And I, I, I was picking up on that from the last time that you were talking about it, because it's like, how? what is my reaction to all of these uh, persons who are being sacramentalized but not evangelized, who are eventually going to you know, fall away. And it's the responsibility of the school, the family, and the church to form that one sanctuary. And I think it's interesting because we've effectively allowed for, what would you say, 60% of our kids, maybe 70, 80% of our kids to, to visit a sanctuary that is opposed to the beliefs of the family and the church. And if we're trying to form this this consecutive sanctuary, what does he say? It must be, it also must be positively harmonized with these in such a way that these three environments, a school, family, and church, will constitute the one sanctuary of Christian education. How are we going to be able to to draw people into the the mystery when one-third of our education, which is the education of the whole person, 
is through public education. Yeah, but I would even say um, poor Catholic education, just as just as bad. I mean, I, I think there's a product of poor Catholic school formation that is more secular, more hostile, and more disaffiliated than anything that comes out of public schools. This is the families. I mean, I so our schools are, for the most part, pretty inadequate uh, when it comes to this thing. But I, I totally agree with what you're saying, and I and I like the threefold structure of the church, family, and school as the as the one sanctuary of Christian education. Because when you see it done well, uh, when you see those three harmonized, it's really an amazing thing. And, and we we know people who we we know families. Yes, we know kids who are are receiving that kind of unified formation and it is uh it's really amazing and it doesn't have to be you have to be totally catholic educated you have to be at a turbo catholic parish and you have to be a turbo catholic family i've said that to people whenever they ask how did you become a priest did your family like pray the rosary every night did they you know like do bible studies it's like we went to mass we had family dinners um and we didn't have cable TV. Like, I think those were three of the biggest reasons why I turned out the way that I did. But I would also say my grandmother was a practicing, stable Catholic and knew how to pray the rosary. I think that's fairly important. Not just yeah. knew how to pray the rosary, but actually prayed the rosary. Pray the rosary. So, and also, I would say that knowing your the decisions you made after high school and the influence that your your father especially counseled you on and certain you know what I mean there was a lot of there was a lot of things that came together that that kind of as a catalyst yeah. meeting Nick Blaha you know meeting a certain priest at the University Even of Illinois Morehead. yeah like but your dad helped you to kind of move through that community college thing and kind of like you know right. to the University of Illinois like when you want to go to Notre Dame and so yeah the relationship that came out of not having cable TV, having family dinners, then set you up to be, you receive the the counsel and the wisdom from your father, mm-hmm. which then put you in a position where new men could step into your life and really form you deeply. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So sometimes we think about what am I doing right now, but it's like, what what are you doing today that will set you up to have the relationship with your 18-year-old son or daughter so that you can help them make the best possible decision that the that the first person they meet when they leave and step into the big scary world mm-hmm. is not some kind of I don't know Marxist postmodern Marxist who then completely changes their mind but actually sets them up for success in the life of faith. How do you feel like I mean uh, Alba said he doesn't talk about this but how do you feel like discipline fits in with those three categories because yeah. Church discipline is a scary topic. Yeah. For a lot of people, it's like, we want to make sure everybody feels comfortable, so we're not going to make, we're not going to say anybody can't receive um, or shouldn't be presenting themselves for communion, but I actually think that's important. School discipline was important in my life that I realized that there were consequences to my behavior and had to spend some time in detention because of my poor decision-making, as well as my attitude, um, and family discipline, like corporal punishment, but also like my dad cared enough and my mom cared enough, both of my moms cared enough that it was like, you're not going to act that way. Yeah. 
Where would you say discipline fits in all of it? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, reminded of the line from Curtis Martin. He's got all those pithy one-liners from giving talks about. But one of them he says is, uh, rules without relationship equals rebellion. Do you remember that? Hmm. When he would say that? Rules without relationship equals rebellion. And I think that's, that is true. Um, the chur- The question of church discipline, I mean, uh, you know, first off, Catholic school discipline is just mocked roundly. You know, it's all the nuns and all the boomers telling their stories. And you go to these like, you know, like dinner um, dinner theaters and they do these kind of oh, yeah. mocking shows of nuns and priests and hey, all the boomers laugh. Ah, I've been to these things with my parents and their friends and it's just like, oh my God. And I, I think there was some real injustice and some real like violence done to these kids, but the whole mockery of it shows that um, the irony of we desire to live a perpetual adolescence and simultaneously think we're above reproach and discipline is no place in our life once we hit, I don't know, 15, you know. So there's just no, no one has the right to tell me I can't receive communion because that's what I get to do. And that's who, you know, it's just like there's no, authority is just so tossed out. Everything is just, it's just absurd to even think about building your life actually around that, that somebody would have authority over you, that you would place yourself under that. And um, the church is a mother fundamentally, but the relationship with the church, when that breaks down, then all of the rules, it just rules without relationship equal rebellion. That's what we get. Mm-hmm. It's been a nonstop spirit of rebellion since 1968, 50 years of that. And we're we're just living in it, and um, yeah, and I think that until we return to that maternity of the church, you think about the world that Pius XI was living in and the challenges they were facing, and there certainly were some, um, but nothing like what we're facing now in terms of how untethered the education system, which has been completely hijacked by the state. We forget that it's like state hijacked education is something that's completely historically this is a bit of an anomaly right like you didn't have this the secularization where this, of education where we, the secularization of education this is yeah. john dewey uh is the architect of this this didn't happen but we just kind of grow up in this and we went to public schools didn't you yes yeah, well, I, did. I did yeah for sure and you just think this is what you do but we used to pledge allegiance to the flag agreed and so it's, it's a little different than it was in you know back when mj was getting his first world championship well i mean i would just offer that i would offer that as a as another as another level of um the human person desires to be shaped and education is the 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 shaping of persons and i look back on certain professors that challenged me about both my both my personality my my attitude but also like said like you could be you you have real potential and you need to apply yourself not just unleash like the beast that is within you like you can be this whatever but it's like that you want something more and i see that and let's work towards that um i i was grateful in those in those moments of my life when when that was the same thing in the church where uh my teachers in religious education were like you get this stuff you know, but like, why is it that you goof off half the time? Um, or why are you in Becky Wheeler's room on the confirmation retreat? And I was like, if you thought I had a chance with Becky Wheeler, like you were out of your mind. 
Anyways, um, so I, I would just offer that. Albacetti goes on. He says the three. I would love to see you on your confirmation retreat and mutually. We were just. Oh my! God. I was such a disaster. Such a disaster. I mean, you name it, I was doing it. I mean, well, it's just horrible. They were doing. I feel so bad for the people who had to lead that. So Marty Smith, who's now a priest, Father Marty Smith, uh, another classmate of mine was getting in a snowball fight with Michael Hagen and Brian Hagenbrook um, outside. And I said, this is my this is my chance. Like, while they're in the snowball fight, I'm going to sneak out and knock on uh, Becky Wheeler's uh, window and then climb in. Because, like, they put us to bed at, like, 8.30. <laughs> like, I swear, it was, like, 8.30 or maybe it was, like, 10 o'clock, but we were not tired at all. And the snow was falling and everything. And so Becky Wheeler's room was Becky, Allison Collins, and um, one other girl. That's I can't, amazing. I can't remember these details. Oh, yeah. It was a small town. Anyways, so uh, the, you know, we're, we're just talking. We're literally just talking because, like, I was a very social person. I liked Becky. I've known Becky for years. Like, um, like, we we grew up together like it was one of those things it was like i just want to talk to my friend and they were like you can't see each other so i was like well you know forget this so anyways we're in the room and then all of a sudden the teacher barb um she knocks on the door and she's like who's in there and we're like we're we're screwed we're screwed and then uh she finds me and she goes what are your parents gonna say when i tell them you were in Becky Wheeler's room and I said nothing we used to take baths together when we were four years old and she didn't like that answer so uh, we all had to do dishes that next morning if anybody's listening to this and is on their confirmation retreat do not think that it's a good idea for you to sneak into a girl's room on your confirmation retreat bad idea bad idea so discipline is a good thing anyhow Albacetti goes on he says note that the key to a Christian education, as defined by the Pope, is harmonizing positively the three environments into one sanctuary. No such sanctuary exists, if it ever did, today. Hmm. The three, And he writes this in 1971. 1971. The three environments of which the Pope spoke are almost entirely isolated from one another, and the dissent from the magisterium of the church that exists in many Catholic schools, however much it may contribute to the disruption of the family school church bond, is not its fundamental cause. The real problem is that the organic unity which the Christian life demands as a condition for the education of its children has been broken by the surrender of the family and the school to the secularizing pressures of the dominant culture. Mm. 1971. And I would say, like, it's been beautiful to see that we've been able to to create havens of that culture um, in uh, charter schools, but many of those charter schools don't have the religious component. So we have a lot of people going to Golden, Golden View. View. Golden View is very good, amazing education. But one thing I've got against them, and it's pretty big, you don't have a crucifix in your in your uh, rooms and your kids can't go to confession. Yeah. And I wish that there was a way in which we could all come together and have a conversation about what is it that ultimately we need. 
And what Albacete is pointing to is not just, we need to put the blame on the secularization of the culture. We allowed it. We, we actually said, oh, you want to educate our kids for free? Oh, yeah, sure. No right. problem. Right. And we just let it happen. And then they're like, hey, we'd like to talk to your kids about uh, gender ideology. And you're like, nah, it won't be that bad. Right. It's like, okay, well, talk to me and talk to me in 10 years. Yeah. It's coming. So, anywho. Um, the other point uh, that, that he makes, which I, I just want to conclude with, you got another? I wanted to see that uh, book, but I. Uh, oh, you can, yeah. This is uh, this is one we, we really recommend. Anything by Albacete, definitely read God at the Ritz. Yep. If you've never uh, read it, that was his. This is kind of uh, what what is Christian and Christianity is kind of a collection, I think, of his different essays, right? Mm. Yeah, but it's, yeah, there's a lot of people feeling that sense of we're we're capitulating again to the culture. Um, and I think there's something, not that it's all justified, you know, the kind of the radical kind of Catholic people getting extreme on these things, but, uh, there is, there's something very legitimate about we are recap, we're capitulating once again to just kind of handing everything's over. And that happened in the seventies. It wasn't like this, like where you had this dominant public school thing. We used to be the dominant educator in the United States. That's where we got into the education business as Catholics because it wasn't happening. And so we started to do it, and then we handed it all over. So what he points to, this is in a separate essay. The first ep- essay that I was quoting from is uh, De-Schooling Illich, and then uh, the second essay is Education and Mystery, which uh, is an essay he wrote in uh, uh, Trace's magazine. Um, what he doesn't advocate for is that we need to take back education in the public sphere. Because what he's saying is we need educators, people that are capable of leading persons out of ignorance into the mystery, uh-huh. into the encounter with God. Um, that needs to happen in those three arenas of church, family, and school. And I think that you can have even persons in the public school who are capable of doing that. Yeah. For me, it was a Presbyterian woman who was able to do that for me. She was my foods and nutrition teacher. I've already written her a letter just thanking her you know, for what she's done. The other was a Catholic man who was uh, my history teacher. The other was my fourth grade teacher who realized that I loved acting. Tom Siekmeyer, my English teacher. Same really? thing. Yep. Catholic great, or nope, Protestant? Protestant, but great Christian man. Wow. So what he says is, he says this, it seems to me that what is led out is the student in education because educare means to lead out. Not what is within him, or to be politically correct, but the person of the students, him or her. One presumably educates persons. Education occurs through an encounter with reality, an encounter that sets the student free. Only such an encounter can, can be educative. The educator is the one who facilitates this encounter through instruction, gesture, and witness. The student is led out of ignorance to a deeper and deeper penetration into reality. Mm. Instruction, gesture, and witness. So for, as parents, if you're already thinking to yourself, how can I do this? My question is, who has instructed you and in what? Who has gestured to you and how are you gesturing? What are the manners by which you carry yourself as a parent? And then uh, what was the other one? Instruction, 
gesture and witness. Who witnessed to you? Are you witnessing? And if you don't have those persons in your life, you need to start finding them because education happens in community, yeah, not by individuals. So not solely by individuals, but for them to encounter witnesses, um, educators, this needs to be a collective effort in the parish. It can't just be the priest. It also has to be the lay persons who are teaching. It has to be the elderly persons who are, uh, you know, praying at, at daily mass. Um, it has to be the the staff as well. Um, but then that has to happen in the schools. And hopefully schools aren't just the teachers, but also the staff and the parents and then the family. And the family is not just the nuclear family. The family can be extended family, grandparents, aunts and uncles, godparents, but also neighbors. Trying to see the education of persons as who do I need these children to be in regular encounter with? If it's hockey and swing stations like show choir Mm -hmm. and that's it Mm -hmm. it's like your kids are going to turn out less educated yeah they might get great scores on their act and everything else but they will not have encountered the mystery yeah i i love this i think this is hugely important um i'm thinking of carrie floyd right now who's probably listening to this and uh freaking out because her whole work is helping have i talked about this already in the podcast a little bit her whole job is to help teachers actually uh, structure their classes that are pedagogically effective. Right. And so she would have a lot of very interesting things to say about this. But she challenged me. She's like, are you treating your students like empty vessels that you're just pouring content into? Mm-hmm. Or are you actually kind of together moving? And she talked about co-creation where you're actually leading into something. Um, and, and again, standing in, before reality together. And so... Uh, I, I also think of Congar, Yves, Yves Congar has this great line. He says, w- when he's talking about his book, The Meaning of Tradition, he says, a milieu is educative. So a milieu, kind of the worldview that you operate out of. The culture of the seminary educates them more than the individual content. The culture of a parish educates them more. The culture of a family educates them more than the actual moments of specific teaching whatever the content is. It's really about the milieu. And so if you go to your parish and it's just loosey-goosey liturgy and uh, we don't really pay attention to, we we don't really, you know, adhere to what the magisterium teaches. We're not that, we're really relevant and kind of cool, laid-back Catholics. It's like, well, you're going to communicate that more than even if the priest is trying to deliver specific homilies. And so, and you see the breakdown of the family structure, the neighborhood structure, the culture, um, People are not connected anymore. And so families are siloed. They're islands. I, like, I feel like my friends, a lot of young families, they're just islands. Um, and it's really hard for them to build actually communities and start to kind of pull this together. So that, like you're saying, the witnessing and the gesturing, uh, all of these things start to play out. The gesturing thing strikes me as particularly interesting because... Um, we would beg my parents to leave after communion. We'd just be like, come on. We would just wear them down. Mm. We'd wear them down, and then we'd go. And it's like, what are you communicating to your kids when you do that? Wow. Because I remember going to grandma's house when she had Alzheimer's that was advanced, my nana, my dad's mom, and I would be relieved to get out of there because it was so hard to talk to her. Yeah. And that's what you're saying to the kids. 
man, thank God we got out of there as fast as possible. We cut the corner, you know, and it's like, this is just terrible. And I'm not blaming my parents. We, we would literally wear them down to the point of, they were just like, ah, fine, we'll go, you know? Um, but the gesturing's huge. Um, and we are in a crisis of education and your children, if you just do, if you're listening to this and your parents, and it's like, if you're just going to go along with the flow and with the, in the parish, in the school, in the family, and just do what everybody else is doing, you are going to fail to educate your children. It's not going to work. It's in terms of educating them, education. In, in terms right. of a, a true education into reality, yes. they might get eight great ACT scores and get into an Ivy League school or whatever. Go to Notre Dame. I don't, I don't know. But you're not going to educate them into their humanity. And if that doesn't happen, it's like, what are we doing? Education as persons. Right. And that's where, that's where it's beautiful because the, the thing that uh, Giussani and Albacetti are known for is what, the, what is called school of community. So we're actually going to school in order to, in, to, in order to better understand our life in common. And sometimes it's like, yeah, 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 I know all about that. Or I don't have time for that. You know, I don't have time. It's like, what exactly do you think heaven is going to be? Is heaven just going to be you blissing out on all these things? Or are you still needing to learn how to live in relationship? You and I both have to learn how to live in relationship. It, it takes time. And sometimes it, it, it takes having difficult conversations with family with teachers, with uh, priests, with lay people, with brothers and sisters, with friends. Like, have some of these conversations. Don't wait until uh, you're like 70 years old before you start sharing your experience together. So I was really encouraged. Father Matt Henry sent us that... um, Sent us... Did you get that from him? Yeah, it all started with the podcast. Yeah, somebody... uh, Somebody was listening. I think it's Holly from Iowa. Uh, she was listening to the podcast and eventually found School of Community. Um, and uh, what is it called? Youth. Uh, GS. GS. What's that? Uh, I think it's Juventi Studenti. I think yes. something like that. Student Youth. Yeah. So um, she found that. And ultimately, I think it's hard for people because they think that we on the podcast are trying to trying to give them community. We are the compass needle. We are pointing you in a direction. Go in that direction. Find community. Find fellow persons that you can walk with. They don't have to be podcast listeners. Mm -hmm. They don't have to be Democrats or Republicans or pro-life or whatever, but start meeting together to share life together and really uh, confess your dependence upon each other. That book that I read this summer... Or this fall um, about hospitality, um, that was part of her point, was that you need to find persons that you're in regular communion with. And sometimes people feel like, I don't get enough communion from the podcast. You're listening to a podcast on food. You can't eat me. You have to eat food, okay? Like, you need to find your own food. And this is helpful. I mean, yeah. it's gonna it's gonna uh, pique your appetite, and hopefully, it's gonna point you in a direction. But like, hopefully, in this year, because we're already in the new year, you're probably setting um, New Year's resolutions for yourself. Say, I'm gonna start seeking these kinds of relationships for myself, 
to be educated, for my children, to be educated, for my spouse, to be educated. And we're going to do it together. And not just drop my kids off at school, public school, at religious education, at church. It's like, no, we're going to do this together. And I think the question of hospitality is such a such a key part of it. Um, Giussani has this great line. Um, I'm sure I've shared it with you before. He says, hospitality means precisely to allow others to be part of our lives. That's hmm. a different way of thinking of hospitality, to allow others to be part of our lives. After the sacrifice of one's life, hospitality is the greatest sacrifice, so much so that we find it difficult to be true hosts. We cannot even welcome ourselves. Hmm. A true imitation of Christ consists in making others part of our life. I'm thinking of um, Keenan Fitzpatrick. Do you know he's got this crazy new operation going? He, he's the guy always, is just, he's, he's always, always got something. He's buzzing. Like, just buzzing. This guy is just, Holy Spirit. What's is, he doing now? Um, it's not Adonai, Adoba. He's got some Hebrew word for the name of this farms, and he's starting this kind of um, place where women who have been trafficked can come and live. But he's got this whole house, and Whoa. it's just, it's a community. It's not just about creating a space, uh-huh. you know, or like, having a service it's about bringing them into a family and into life and he's already brought like 500 people through this house um and there's just a tremendous openness and i think he's a model of this kind of hospitality so as you think about this uh, i as you're starting the new year I, i think it's worth reflecting on if you want to educate your family well if you want to be true educators it involves this kind of hospitality this openness to others and bringing people in is my family hospitable Am I actually introducing myself in the pews to other people? Or do I just go fulfill my obligation to Mass and then leave? I cannot tell you how many of my friends uh, and people that I love, I try and connect them desperately after Mass, but everybody's Mm -hmm. just scattering to the wind. They're just trying to get out of there as fast as possible. I'm just like, unless we're hospitable to one another, we're never going to actually build relationships. Or that happens at work. It's like... I, I go, I'm not known. I don't want to know anybody. It's dangerous to know other people or for them to know me, and then I just run away. Right. So it's a good point. So I think the education is key. These are great questions to be asking. We don't really have all the answers, but, um, yeah, this is this is good stuff. Albacete, definitely be reading him in the new year for sure. Yeah, and the, the last thing I would say, because we have uh, – we just want to give two shout outs or I just want to give two shout outs. One of the ways in which we see that our podcast is bearing fruit is if people's lives are being converted, not because of the podcast, but along with the podcast, like they are sharing their experience of growing in Christ as, uh, as people who listen, but we don't take all the credit the people in their communities, their friends, their neighbors, the people that had dinner with them or or shared life with them uh, when they were in good times and bad, like they deserve all the credit. So we got two letters in the last year. I don't want to. I don't want to read them because uh, both of them are are rather personal. They're glowing and pro banter, if you will. Yes. Um. So uh, and both of them are are in religious orders. So you know, like, you know. If you don't believe me, call them. Um, but I do want to give a shout out to uh, Sister Mary Mar- Maria Galliano and uh, uh, Sister, I don't know, like question mark. Her former name was Megan Megan Perks. I thought we got a, gave her a shout out before. Uh, but uh, one of them is an active religious. The other is a contemplative religious. We have heard people 
uh, say that they've entered RCIA, that they have reconciled with their brother uh, who is going to commit suicide. Uh, we, we take joy in knowing like the fruits of the Spirit are manifold in the lives of persons. When people write in and say, like, we've decided to dedicate our whole life to Jesus and you are a part of that, um, that's amazing. And uh, I, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to just share life with Father John and Father Mike and, and hope that in some way it's creating a, a positive effect in the world. Um, so to those two sisters as well as to all the other people who have converted uh, in part because of this podcast, we are converting still uh, because of, of your rededication to Jesus. So um, that's the only shout out I want to give. Very nice. And uh, again, uh, another pro banter shout out. I just got a nice uh, email, thoughtful email from um, Mike Anctil, A-N-C-T-I-L. How would you pronounce that? Anctil. But um, from Charlottesville. And I just really appreciated your uh, thoughtfulness. You know, sometimes people write in. I have I've been um, tasked with uh, responding to all the um, hate mail uh, from the podcast. Some which of is it built up, um, and so Whatever. I always appreciate thoughtful, um, you know, critiques or concerns or balanced, um, you know, kind of clarifications on things. And and I feel like I've gotten some of those recently. So thank you for that. Uh, we love hearing from you guys and appreciate your patience in our delayed response so this brings us into year 11 finishing this podcast second week well and, uh, we're gonna we're we'll hopefully do we're gonna do a three-man all right we don't even know there's a possibility that olo will be in town you never uh, know usually usually floats in and then you know asks you know 24 hours beforehand if he can stay so right. um if he's coming we'll try to do a four-man podcast for our actual anniversary but very good well great Happy Epiphany. What 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 time are we at? Forty one. Oh, perfect. Forty two. Okay. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Check us out on other mediums other than Facebook because <laughs> they still hate us. Um, and to all the haters, I'm watching. See ya. Ciao, ciao.